Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Helen. And welcome to another Emergency New Statesman podcast. Wow, wow, wow. The occasion of our uh, Emergency Podcast is not just the fact that you've returned from a week's holiday and therefore we've got quite a lot of chat to catch up on, but also a really interesting ruling in a court case of one of the many interminable court cases related to the Labour leadership election. Recap it for me. The NEC had voted to reinstate the freeze date and it had had pre-2007 when they decided to abandon six-month freeze date for the then deputy leadership election. And this is the same freeze date they have for parliamentary selections, council selections, etc., etc., for the Labour leadership race. So classically, for the first six months after you join, you can't vote in internal elections. And the thrust of the judge's verdict is that the way that Labour have marketed membership is based on the idea that you can vote in the leadership election. Well, the website did say join the Labour Party now and get blah, blah, blah and vote in our Labour leadership elections. So that has been overturned. I have spoken to several lawyers who think it is unlikely to be rejected on appeal. I'm going to massively caveat that in the the overwhelming consensus among most legal professionals about Labour and its NEC was that the court would go, you know, your rules, your party, do what you like, provided you can say you follow the rules. The really interesting in the two court cases we've had, there was the one about whether or not he needed the nominations. What everyone expected would be in that case was thrown out because they'd go, no, 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 it's Labour's rules. The interesting thing is it was thrown out, but not for the reason that was widely expected. He, The judge actually explicitly said, you know, I think I can get involved in this. That is probably the more important legal precedent. Because if, as we all expect, and probably by the time most of you are listening to this, the six membership representatives on the NEC will all uh, be Corbyn allies. If, as we expect, Jeremy is re-elected and there is a pro-Corbyn majority on the NEC, it is interesting that we we now know that the courts will not say, yeah, your party, your rules. So that's an interesting story. Talking about the NEC, I have another book club recommendation for the uh, NS Political Nerd Book Club, which is Hammer of the Left, which has got lots of stuff in about left-wing takeovers of the NEC. Or Fight Back by Diane Hayter is shorter and also very good. I'm kind of up for that because I'm currently alternating between Hammer of the Left and Ciliary Justice and a biography of Peter the Great, which is really not the happiest collection of books to skip between depending on which kind of device I've got with me. One of the things I wanted to ask you about this is are you sure, Mm. I don't know why I'm putting words into your mouth because I'm not sure you actually expressed this opinion, that the members that are now re-enfranchised, so those who joined between January 2016 and the cut-off date, which now the new cut-off date is presumably the day that the leadership challenge was declared, right? 
Uh, one would assume. I mean, it gets set by the NEC, but my feeling is, yeah, they'll they probably Ah, oh, those guys... Because you keep hearing stuff about more pro-Corbyn people flooding into the party. But as you know, and anyone who's read my very long piece online will know that I've been talking to a lot of our Facebook commenters. I'm also talking to a lot of subscribers about their feelings about Jeremy Corbyn. And I have been surprised by the number of them who are felt really let down over Corbyn's performance in the EU. I'm going to very heavily caveat this because I am, as we speak, midway through phoning around uh, local parties. And as ever, and I'm aware this is when I start to sound a bit like a pledge drive, hugely grateful to all of the <laughs> podcast listeners who have got in touch to tell me yeah, if they've joined recently and why. My impression is, is that the people who joined the Labour Party in that massive surge joined because of the EU referendum. A lot of them were and are, I, and actually, to be honest, if you've emailed me and I haven't emailed you uh, chasing up to see how you feel now, please do get in touch again. My impression from the people I've talked to who is that what happened is people joined because they were upset about the European referendum and that had kind of politicised them a bit. They were mostly pro-Corbyn, but they were not... They didn't join for Corbyn. They didn't join for Corbyn. I think think the the way I'd liken it is... um, yeah, in an, in another life, when I was a, a Labour activist, I, I joined after the 2005 general election. Uh, I was not massively... There were lots of things about the Blair government I disliked, uh, but I was fine enough with it to join yeah. a party. And I'd say that's basically where a lot of the new members are. I think then, that's why the Article 50 stuff over the weekend has actually been quite damaging for Corbyn, because, I mean, he... I know this isn't a word that we're supposed to really use, but I think he pretty much did just flat out lie or at least misremember what he said the day after. So in the Labour leadership hustings against Owen Smith, he said, you know, I didn't call for Article 50 to be triggered immediately. And then there's a video clip of him on College Green the day after referendum saying, you know, we've all got to accept the result. It's happened. Article 50 needs to be triggered now. And then there's a kind of comes into one of these sort of like Bill Clinton-esque, it depends what your definition of is, is. But it seems to me that he thinks that Article you know, whether or not you mean that Article 50 should be triggered now, like this minute, or, you know, as part of the post-referendum process. But it seems very clear that he's not in the same place as a lot of the Labour MPs and not in the same place as a lot of the very pro-EU members, or indeed people who see the Labour Party and joining the Labour Party as their best way back to campaigning for Europe or for a Brexit deal that is as un-Brexity as possible. Right, so I'm going to say something deeply unsympathetic, and it's going to upset a lot of people. I'm afraid I cannot get my head around being pro-European and voting for Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, uh, if you, if, is that, I know there are lots of people who... Oh, I thought you were going to say much more offensive oh, like, things. No, 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 I, I know there are enough. lots of people who categorise themselves as such, but as far as I'm concerned, if you say you're pro-European, but you're voted, you voted for Jeremy last time or you're voting for him again, you're not pro-European. His hostility towards the project is was not... He didn't lie about it. He didn't hide it from you. He has a 30-year record of voting against it. I mean, he voted against the Maastricht Treaty. He voted against Lisbon. He voted against the bits of Europe that the lefties like. He, he he doesn't like any of the project. Yeah, it's a legitimate argument. However, if you care about the EU and you voted for Jeremy Corbyn, you're lying to yourself. Yeah, well, it's sorry. Just, it's clearly like, just not your top priority yeah. in politics, right? It's something yeah. that you could be pro-EU, but actually it's number eight or nine down your list of things. I think I was saying to you earlier that I imagine that there are very few things that Labour could change its policy on that would help them in Scotland. And and they could change their policy on on Trident throughout the country, you know, to the way that Jeremy Corbyn would like it. I just don't think there are that many people who vote for the SNP because of Trident. I think yeah. it's something that people like to say is part of it. But I can't, I don't believe it, dry, it changes voting intention. Yeah, and I think that's my instinct with a lot of the membership that was voting before the freeze date 
was overturned, who we can see from constituency nominations. And yes, they're not a perfect guide, but they have accurately predicted who is going to win. So where among are we members. now? It's about a hundred and something for Corbyn. Corbyn's about 29 got hundred and twenty, for... and Owen Smith's got twenty-four. And while I wouldn't expect the final vote among members to be quite that lopsided, when you look at the numbers individually, it averages out to what YouGov was saying at the start of the race, which is a sixty-forty divide for Corbyn and for Owen Smith. My instinct is, while that 60% who are voting for Jeremy Corbyn, about 50% of them are pro-European, they're only pro-European in the same sense, and I'm, I don't know, like, a Republican, right? You know, I don't care. Yeah, like if yeah, I'm yeah, never going to go on a march about yeah. it. I'm not going to, you know, uh, yeah, vote about if it. If someone asks, yeah, you know, if someone says in theory, how do you feel about the monarchy? I kind of go, it's a bit, a bit weird, isn't it? But I don't care, and I think a lot of people in Labour, that's basically where they are on the European Union. The question is, is a lot of these new members who joined because they're supportive of Jeremy, but they are much more anecdotally from the ones I've talked, much more pro-European than the ones who've come before them. So. A lot of these gaffes about Europe that, to be honest, I've been ignoring because I don't think they matter that much to the existing electorate. Perhaps suddenly they do matter a bit more. It may be that this new membership is not as fixedly pro-Corbyn as the one it made. It, it would include a lot of people who joined because they thought there was going to be a leadership challenge to get rid of them. Yeah, uh, I think there's a real thing about, we you know, we always have to be danger of, uh, aware of the danger of sample bias. Yeah. And I think with Corbyn, there is a slight danger in that people who are very, very pro-Corbyn are extremely vocal about it. I mean, that's what I've been surprised about is, is by the strength of feeling against him. And actually, the number of people who have said, actually, I voted from last year because I thought this is what we needed but, you know, it hasn't worked out. And that group is bigger than I thought it would be. Whether or not it's in any way going to make a dent in the number of people who say the countervailing thing, which is, I feel like we finally got somebody who's going to stand up against austerity. I feel like we probably, we've got finally got a proper socialist in charge of the, the Labour Party. That is a much more open question. But what it does do, I think, is, is point to a really interesting failure. Or maybe it isn't a failure. I don't know how you feel about this. About the choice of Owen Smith as the one to go up against him. Because Owen Smith is seen as the PLP candidate. He's seen as by definition not offering a socialist left-wing alternative by by the by the most hard core of the, of Corbyn's supporters. Even yes. though actually, you know, his platform is incredibly left-wing. Well, the interesting thing is Owen Smith basically is the comfort zone candidate for the PLP. Actually, the policies he's running on are kind of, you know, a bit to the right of Jeremy Corbyn, basically Ed Millibandism with a, a slightly tougher line on immigration. That is the middle ground. That is that is where the average member of the Parliamentary Labour Party is. Obviously, there are some more vocal MPs who are to that consensus is right. But basically, he is running on the campaign most of the PLP uh, would, would like to have. So... Perversely, although I don't think that it is fair for people to think he's the PLP candidate, therefore he's really right wing, they are kind of right. And then he is the candidate, yeah, much more than, than Angela Eagle, who's of a different generation, much more than some of the candidates who I think would have had a better chance of, of, of winning. Um, but I think the problem is I, my instinct is that in order to, to defeat Jeremy Corbyn, one, you would have needed, you need to reassure members on, the economics, which is fairly easy because there's a, a austerity wide... has now been ditched by even by George yeah. Osborne. But there's also a widespread consensus. What's the difference between Rachel Reeves's economics and John McDonald's? 
there's a difference about the direction they're they're ultimately gonna yeah like the if you know if you gave Rachel Reeves twenty years of untrammeled political power and John McDonald twenty years of untrammeled political power Britain would look quite different at the end of those twenty years but actually there's a great deal of consensus about the economics so it's fairly easy to throw that into neutral the other issue they needed to reassure people on was immigration frankly they haven't done that. And the third was they needed to make it a referendum on Europe. And I think to do that, they needed one of the MPs who, I mean, actually one of Corbyn's allies put it to me. They, they said, you know, there are people in this building, icons, for whom Europe is their socialism. You know, it is the thing that they, mm. and they, they did need, and I don't think that's entirely fair, but they, they did need someone like Emma Reynolds or Chaka Ramuna, who is a proper Europe. You know, someone this is, who, so this is my problem, you know, like, is that I worry that they're, what they're doing is they're offering the, the Coke Zero approach, right? They're saying, yeah. well, you can't have you can't have full-fat Coke because it's actually very sugary and it's really bad for your teeth. But, but that's what you want. But instead, we're going to offer you this slightly unsatisfying kind of paler version of it, right? Rather than going, we're going to offer you Fanta. But I think what's happened is, right, so I think for a lot of the PLP, perhaps a majority, but certainly a plurality, and I think definitely the majority of people who backed Owen Smith... They kind of felt like they understood what happened last year because they they felt dissatisfied with the other three candidates as well. Yeah. And they thought the other three candidates were a little bit to their right as well. Mm. Yeah, like a lot of the people who are massively behind Owen Smith are the kind of people who are like, oh, I didn't like it when Andy Burnham said then, you know, we needed to have more people in business. Oh, I really didn't like anything Liz Kendall said. Um, oh, and I you know, didn't thought Nivette was a bit... I mean, to be honest, I actually can't remember anything about ran on to the point that I I know people objected to it, but it's just it's a blank that uh, that that space is gone. I, I um, think there was something about there was something about immigration, and then she got quite good on refugees towards the end. Yeah, I think it was basically and this, is, this is particularly bad because I interviewed her it during was that time. All I can remember is Yvette that she hated thought immigrants should... unless you'd come in on a rubber life draft. Yeah, and so she was she was quite like, up for the idea of there being a female Doctor Who. That's all I can remember yeah, from um, interview with her. But, but whatever it was, that Yvette's platform was, a lot of MPs were a bit yeah about it. And so what they've basically done is they've gone, well, okay, yes. I mean, Jenny Jenny Chapman, who's the MP for Darlington, basically said, yeah, well, Owen Smith is the candidate we should have had last year, and that is where a lot of the PLP is. They were like, oh, well, you were dissatisfied with these candidates. You thought then he was a bit to your right. Well, so were we, and here's the one we want. The problem is, is I think it's a bit of a misnomer to see Jeremy's success solely through the prism of his left-right placement. Mm. Um, well, that's the thing. I'm very aware that I'm being overly harsh by saying perhaps if they had, you know, if it had been Dan Jarvis or Chukramuna, then or Keir Starmer, then yeah, then we'd be sitting here going, well, why didn't they offer him somebody whose policy positions were much more palatable to them? It's a kind of a, a grass is is greener situation, I guess. Um, you're still very much of the Corbyn landslide opinion, right? Um, yes. I mean, I need, you know, the, ultimately the the decision to give votes to this large block of people is a massive new data point, right? Which we, we know nothing about. All of the available data, literally all of it, pointed towards a crushing victory for Jeremy Corbyn. My instinct is, I mean, a, a lot has been made of these polls of trade unionists showing that 60% of them don't like Jeremy Corbyn. But they don't turn out either. Yeah, but the thing is, ultimately, we know that the people who vote from the trade union section, when it's, you know, when you have to opt in, are people on the, who you know, actually are on the far left, you know, like, you know, in a, in a kind of an unambiguous way. I don't want to get into the loaded labour language of it, but people, you know, yeah, like... 
What I think mm. is a bigger group that perhaps uh, than I had thought at the start of it is people who voted for him last time, who are probably long-term Labour members, who na- who think he's the candidate that I want in terms of where he's politically, but it, he personally hasn't worked. And I think that's very easy to ignore that group when you're in a kind of when it suits you to present it as the kind of sensible moderates who just you know want to yank the party back to a, to moderate positions because they think he's crazy on the Falklands or Cuba or whatever blah 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 versus the people who think he's Saint Jeremy and like he everything is the fault of the evil PLP which don't get me wrong that is a significant uh, I mean I keep getting talking to people and getting emails from people who say things like what needs to happen next is that the PLP just need to pull behind him. You know, they've undermined him every opportunity. And you mm. kind of think, well, that would be, I imagine that would be interesting if they did, but how, like, mm. how is that going to happen? And also, I, it always makes me annoyed because I think no one ever said that to Jeremy Corbyn under Tony Blair's leadership. No one ever said, uh, oh, you, Jeremy, you're so disloyal. I can't believe you wouldn't just row in behind Je- Tony I, I Blair. Don't know. So the thing is, I don't think that's true. One of, one of the mistakes, and I think a lot of MPs are making, right? And this, 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 this smug little line they've got, and I can see how it's very satisfying. And if I was an MP, I would love to make it too. Of I'll be as loyal to him as he was to previous leaders. If you actually look back at what the Labour Party was saying in its weird little pamphlets and all of that stuff in the nineties, they weren't going, "Oh, thank goodness, Jeremy has got his principles together." They were going, "We've lost four elections on the bounce." We've got this guy who we think we can win. The polls say we were ahead, but the polls were wrong last time. We're all convinced we can't ever win again. Will you just shut up? Yeah, that was actually what people were saying about Jeremy Corbyn in the early 90s. They weren't going, oh, look at you with your your sweet little principles. Yeah, yeah. And I, no, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think mine comes more from post ninety seven actually, yeah. where it was that. I mean, but then again, that comes from you know a, a huge majority cushion of more than a hundred, where they could afford to be kind of indulgent and cluck over him because they didn't, they didn't need him or his yeah. his, his votes. I think my yeah. I, I think the the problem the problem with MPs who are saying I'm going to behave like Jeremy Corbyn did is ultimately it took twenty years, a catastrophic war a massive recession and two back-to-back electoral defeats for the Jeremy Corbyn approach of engaging with your leadership to lead to him taking back control of the Labour Party. If Corbyn's critics think that that is a model to emulate to take back the party, well... See you in 2030. Yeah, 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 (laughs) you know, ultimately, you know, I I don't need a Labour government anymore, so I'm fine. Um... Yeah, I think that's. I think that is. I think that is not un. You know, just because it's that kind of like, oh, he started it. Well, yeah, but okay, but unfortunately, you can't just punch each other in the in the playground. I don't know. I think my problem with it is is that I feel there's a big dose of moral relativism. I'm not sure that's the right phrase to use in this section, but there's a big dose of the kind of the end justifies the means. Maybe that's more what I mean. Is that Jeremy's opposition to Tony Blair was on things that we are now deemed everybody in the Labour Party things that are correct, right? Like the Iraq War. Well, obviously, we were all against the Iraq War. Well, actually, quite a lot of people weren't at the time, but now most people remember they do. We've got you got polling that shows that. So Jeremy Corbyn's rebellions were okay because he was right. Uh, so actually what you're not, so you're, you're making the argument from the decisions that he took, not on the principle. That's mm. the thing is I don't, I don't, and I also think there's a thing on, 
particularly on the hard left, of not thinking anybody else has got principles, not thinking that centre-left politics is in itself principled, thinking that it's only a weak, compromised version of hard-left politics. And I think that's where I... And, you know, to to be fair, that is about a failure of the centre-left to articulate that themselves. There has been a big yawning gap in people saying, well, do you know what, I think that... I mean, like I I mentioned last week, the Liz Kendall thing about, you know, there's nothing progressive about spending more on servicing our debt than on education, just about trying to kind of come up with ideas that left-wing politics, centre-left politics is a good in itself. Yeah, and I think, I mean, and that actually, that is something I do remember from Yvette Cooper's campaign. Of course, she was the one who started this meme of denouncing everyone you didn't agree with as a Tory. Did she? Yeah, she was like, we shouldn't shouldn't (laughs) act like, yes, well... Good luck, you've started that fire and now we're all going to burn in it. One news story I did appreciate every weekend before we wrap up was that James Schneider, who is a very personable spokesman of Momentum, uh, used to leave pro-Tory comments on Conservative Home. He's had quite the political journey. So I just, I, I, I just, maybe I'll go and spend some time in some of those angrier Facebook groups going, well, it's, you know, it's quite possible for people to have once been Tories to be rehabilitated, in fact. Yeah, I think it's a heartening story. But yeah, my instinct is... It feels likely to me that the new members on would have to be so pro Owen Smith. I also don't think anybody's pro Owen Smith. I think people are pro or anti Corbyn. Yeah, that ultimately it is like the twenty fifteen general election. A lot of people think that proving a case against Corbyn is the same as proving the case for their candidate. We saw in the election, and I, to be honest, I think we will probably see in the next election. It is not enough to prove that what the other side is doing is not working unless you have something which people see as as good or better and seeing as people are risk averse basically better do you know why i'm smiling because we had in the centenary issue of the new statesman among other loads of other great stuff we had a column from one uh, t blair or a blair rather uh that said and i remember the headline the Labour party has to be more than the repository for people's anger yeah, and then it had like a five-point policy prescription, which really ended up about the importance of DNA testing. <laughs> one of those sort of classic Tony Blair. Oh, I, I remember that because <laughs> like, it was like one of those things where, like, there was the one where you're like, "Oh, I always forget how authoritarian you were," and yeah. also there's the one where you're like, "I forget how old you are now." The bit where he's like, "How will the internet affect change?" And it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, you just forget." And this is a man who, for most of his time in Downing Street, there was not a computer in his office. Yeah, I didn't have email. And was given a phone. Yeah, like yeah. you know, this wonderful story about getting a phone when he left office, texting someone, being like, "What are we doing this evening?" Them texting like, "Who is this?" And being like, "Oh my god, it's only been three hours." <laughs> New number. Who this? Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. Well, that's probably enough. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Podcasting for now. We will return later in the week with a full, exciting All Hands on Deck podcast where I've got a very good You Ask Us that I'm going to spring on you then as well. But until then... listening to the new statesman podcast presented by me helen lewis and produced by anna leskovitz you can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on itunes our theme music is devil with the devil by the underscore orchestra licensed under creative commons (laughs) 